Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hi there. Welcome to session 104 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having a wonderful start to your day. It is cold and more cold here in Philly. This is my least favorite time of the year these two months because I grew up, as you guys know, I was born in India, but then grew up in Texas. So this weather does not always cooperate with me or I don't cooperate with the weather, whatever. But uh hope you're having a wonderful way day and hope you're staying nice and warm. Today's podcast is all about hiring an online business manager for your private practice. One of the hardest decisions emotionally is getting to a point in our businesses where we realize we can't do everything. We as clinicians, I think this is especially true because most private practitioners are what we call technicians, right? We are really good at being clinicians. So we go with that mindset into starting our private practices. And before we know it, we're doing a bunch of different tasks, all of the tasks that it requires just to run a small business. And what can happen if we're not careful is that becomes really overwhelming so that, you know, most of us started a private practice because we wanted more time, freedom. We wanted to spend more time with our family. But then that, that space that we had created becomes filled with some of these more admin tasks. And so my guest today is Francis J. Harvey. Francis has been helping clinicians with managing the day-to-day tasks of a private practice. And I wanted to have Francis on just to talk about hiring out. You know, when do we as clinicians know when it's time to hire out? What sort of things do we need to consider? What are some of the most common tasks that someone that's an online business manager might be able to help with so that they can free up time and you can get that time back? and to spend time with your family or to continue to grow your practice and think of creative ways of growing your practice. This is a really practical conversation, so we'll get right to it. So here is my conversation with Francis J. Harvey. Hey, Francis, welcome to Selling the Couch. Hey, Melvin. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. I'm excited for our conversation. We've been able to connect online and you've been just so helpful helping our colleagues. And I'm excited to talk all about hiring out and when to figure out when to get a a business manager and all of those things. Great. Me too. Let's go. 
All right. So I've heard this term OBM being tossed around and I'm like, is this an acronym for something? It is an acronym, but I'd never heard of it. So what in the world is an OBM? That's great, Melvin. Yes, it, it does stand for something and it stands for an online business manager. And that's what I am. I specifically am a OBM for the mental health industry and clinicians such as yourself. And I come alongside you and collaborate with you to help grow your practice and manage your practice. So I'm also like a practice manager. Awesome. It's such a like needed resource and a needed tool because I think there's this... Have you come across this book called The E-Myth Revisited ever? Oh, yes. I, in fact, the beginning of my career in mental health, I was handed that book. And I read the first couple pages, but then I kind of put it aside. <laughs> so yeah, a while back ago, I heard of it. Well, I mean, it's probably one of my most favorite like business books, because in that book, they talk about this idea of working on your business versus in your business. And I think we as clinicians can definitely fall in that trap of working in our business, especially when it comes to the day-to-day -day management of a private practice. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. So, you know, my question was like, and I think this is something that I struggle with, but how do you actually know when you're ready to start hiring out or outsourcing out some of the administrative stuff, just at kind of a practical level? Oh, that's a great question, Melvin. One of the things that I see over and over and over again when I do my consultations with potential clients is the feeling of being completely overwhelmed, trying to do it all on your own. You know, you're pulling your hair out. You know things are important. You know that they're critical to the growth of your business. But it's just you kind of start to feel like you're in that hamster wheel. And you may not be sleeping well. you got a family, and they're like, um, where's Melvin kind of a thing. If you have, you know, wife and kids or husband and kids, they're kind of going, okay, this is good, but we need more of you. So it's that point where they're like, wait, I need to have a better quality life than this. So my question all the time in, with me when I start to delegate stuff is, and I have a sticky on my computer to remind me, stop, who else can do this for me? Even if you can do the task or the project that's in front of you, the question really is, should you be doing it? Should you be spending your time doing this project or this task? Yeah, there's this quote that I actually came across last week. It's funny you mentioned that. So it says, just because something is good, and I would even like shift that a little bit, meaning just because you do something well doesn't mean that it's always good for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. it sounds like whenever that decision to hire out, it's very much an emotional one. And maybe like one of the best ways to gather data is the experience of those that love you. Like, how are they experiencing you, right? Yeah. You know, I'm a real firm believer that really we're here most for relationships in life. And I think that you as clinicians will tend to agree with that. And although our career and our work is important and we have a calling for certain things that we're purposed to do, I still believe that the relationships in life should come first. And when we tend to put those aside, the quality of not only our life, but those around us that we love um, and care for, it really begins to suffer. And so you have to stop and go, okay, 
why am I doing this? What is the purpose of me doing all of this? And if it is taking away from that first thing of, you know, relationships and the love in your life, then you have to rethink that. And then, you know, okay, wait, I need help. I need support. Yes, this is important, but I don't and should not be doing it all on my own. Just thinking about the experience that you've had, what would you say, and not at all to put you on spot, but what would you say are like the top three things that clinicians feel like they can do on their own, but they should probably be outsourcing as private practitioners? I think that probably the top three would be certainly my experience in inquiries from clinicians is their telephones and the scheduling. And it's funny because most people, when we talk about this, that they're scared to death to let that go. However, it's critical that it's done and done properly, but the time that it takes for the clinician to do that and sometimes that it causes them to delay in getting back to the client can really actually hinder their business instead of help grow their business. So I have a team that we handle phones and scheduling for several clients, and it frees them up to do the things that they're really called to do. But yet it keeps the clients and the intakes coming into the practice. So that's probably one of my most popular services that is requested. The other thing is the actual management, practice management, day-to-day of the business. My experience is the first eight years in the industry, I was the director for a large counseling center. So I did all of the business outside of the therapy room, literally everything that you can imagine from, you know, doing, talking with the potential clients on the phone to hiring, to, you know, training and accountability, to firing therapists, to teaching marketing, doing websites, all of that kind of thing. So One of my services is I'm actually a certified professional coach as well. And so I do coaching for therapists where I teach them practice business management that so many of them struggle with because they didn't have the education when they went to grad school to get their degree. And, you know, you graduate, you're excited, you're going to go out, you're going to start your practice. And then all of a sudden the reality, it, it just got real and you are thrown out into the wolves going, okay, sink or swim. And so many of them are pedaling and trying to keep up and do the sessions and do your notes and then market and answer phones and this and that. And they just don't know how to pull it all together and make it flow so it works like it should work. So coaching is another thing that is really becoming strong in the services that we offer. And I think that probably one of the other things is getting a system into place and a real organized infrastructure on how the practice should flow. And that includes everything from, you know, the website building to maintenance to getting the system, you know, automated system in your practice to setting up EHRs or making them function the way they're supposed to function. So the basic, the daily, you know, ins and outs of how things work on a consistent basis and not just kind of grasping as the balls are flying beside you. Yeah, I mean, at such that last point, especially, it's such a good one, because one of the things that I'm learning is it's a really smart strategy to document exactly how you do certain tasks so that one is that you're creating a consistent sort of process around it, but that when you are ready to outsource that you actually have something ready to go. And it sounds like one of the things that 
You help a lot of clinicians with is putting those systems into place to be able to do that. Exactly. Just shifting a little bit, and this might be related to what I just asked, but like, what would you say are the three most common things that an online business manager helps with? So maybe we can even go a little deeper into kind of the three things that you talked about. So, Oh, exactly. So a lot of what happens, Melvin, when I get a phone call, the clinicians, they're thinking, okay, I need an assistant. And so they're reaching out and they're looking for the term virtual assistant because that really is an upcoming, well, it's very actually very prominent now these days for the clinicians because not everybody can afford to hire a full-time person in their office. So it works because they're able to get assistance yet not to have to pay full-time, they don't have to pay benefits and blah, blah, blah. So the difference between a virtual assistant and what we do is that a virtual assistant will complete a task for you. You have certain things on your list that you need to get done, and you reach out, and hopefully they will be honest and say, yes, I can do that, and that's great. And there are some really awesome virtual assistants out there. But the difference between that and an OBM is I come in and I collaborate on the administration and operations for your business and or teach that if you don't know that. So it may be two different types of clinicians that come to me, one that does know how to make that happen. But they, like we said, they just don't have the time. And should they be doing this? Their title, their hat, is not a business manager. Their title is, you know, they're either an LMFT or an LPC or a PhD or a PsyD. That's what they need to be doing and spending their time on the things that will grow their practice, not on, you know, managing. So I come in and I collaborate with you to manage the practice. Does that help to get a little deeper? Yeah, I mean, so I think... It does. So I think like at a practical level, what this means is it helps you to focus on your strengths and what you're doing well. And then also for you to be able to have the more practical things, right? Like spending time with family, not having to worry about, you know, having to return a call when you've had, you know, back to back to back to back clients, you know, and trying to get a new client and all of those things. Exactly. And the other difference too is most of the time, when you look at hiring a virtual assistant, you have to train them in your industry, in your world, because even though there's a task, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to know everything about it, because you're, I always believe that your industry and what you guys do is set apart from anything else. And so you're going to have to spend some time, and which time translates into money, training them. With us, you don't have to do that. You don't have to tell me, this is how this needs to be done. Nobody has to tell me how a phone call goes for, you know, a potential mental health client. So where you're saving time and training, right away, that goes back to your family or that goes back to investing in the areas that only you can do. And then, yes, giving back your life, giving back time, spending time with, you know, your kids and your family or just going on vacation, for heaven's sakes. (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, all like valid reasons why we get into private practice in the first place, right? To have that freedom and to be able to enjoy more time. (laughs) Absolutely. I wanted to ask you, and this might be kind of a a strange question, but uh, how do you actually track whether you're getting results from your OBM? And I don't mean to make make this like a big like stats question or something, but I think it's like what you're alluding to, right? Like 
you can get a finished product, but how do you know if you're getting the results that you want? This is a really good question, Melvin, because I think that sometimes the clinician may misunderstand the assistants where they think that they're going to get the support, whether it's a VA or an OBM, and then, oh, good, I can go play. But the truth is they still have to engage and participate. There's work that I need from you in order to do what you want me to do for you. So what happens with me is my client will buy so many hours for the month or a project or whatever, and they're paying me to get a result. And I don't do, you know, an hour by hour, you know, report of what we did every single hour because that becomes an employee status. What I do is I make sure, number one, the job gets done, and number two, that it is done to the best of our ability and that we have communicated with the client exactly what they want. And if it has to be tweaked, we go back to the drawing board. So the result is, you know, is this what you're looking for? Is this what you're done, what you want? And, you know, if not, let's go back and let's sit down, let's have another conversation and make sure that we're communicating properly to get exactly what's in your head, exactly what you want. So I really take a lot of time to listen to the client of what they're looking for, what they want, so we can get those results that they want. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, you bring up a really good point, and this is sort of like, I guess, my last thought around it, which was, you know, we talked a lot about the like the emotional part of how overwhelming a practice can be. And then that's a like an impetus to hire out. But is there something that clinicians can start to do like at that onset? Like, I don't know, even as simple as like writing down tasks that they do and like, you know, to kind of get ready for a potential meeting. Absolutely. I love this question, Melvin, because one of the things that I do once somebody reaches out to me, I respond with an email And when they schedule that consultation time, what I do is I ask them to write down everything that is on their plate. Don't leave anything out. I mean, realistically, we can't do everything on the list. But just that very exercise helps them to come back down to a level of calm and knowing that there is, you know, a rainbow on the other side and that it's going to be okay. So by the time we get to the consultation, I can go through this list and I can say, okay, this is what you've written down. Now let's narrow this down to the top three that are the most important right now that you need to get done. And they do that. And then out of the three, let's prioritize them. So by the end of the hour, we have the beginning of a plan of how to attack this and I'm not going to tell them what's more important to them. I will make suggestions based on my experience and my knowledge, but I always tell them it's your practice, it's your voice, it's what you want, and I'm going to come along beside and support that, but I'm also going to give you, you know, the input and the experience of what I've seen. So even though we have the top three, we may switch them around a little bit, but the lists are incredibly important. Because it helps, first of all, to get it out of your head. And it brings back that calm that I talked about. So I highly suggest, you know, before you reach out, make your list. Because I always tell my potential clients that I'm talking to that you can't really start unless you know where you're going to start. 
And a lot of times, Melvin, and I've said this before, a lot of times when I get that phone call, we first connect and we do the introduction. And I'm like, okay, tell me why you're reaching out because they haven't done their list. Why are you reaching out? What caused you to contact me? And how can we best serve you? And they just start throwing up on my desk, so to speak, because they're so overwhelmed. They don't even know where to begin. And they literally look at me, their eyes get big. And I see this just like, oh, my God, I don't even know where to begin. So that is a really, really, really good point to bring out for them to do. Awesome. Francis, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I'm so grateful for the services that you provide to our field what are some of the best ways that folks can get in touch with you? The best ways literally are either directly emailing me at Francis, which is with an E, so it's F-R-A-N-C-E-S, at MySolutionServices.com. My website is MySolutionServices.com, and there is a little box to connect with me and send it a message as well. And we pretty much respond either same day or within 24 hours. Awesome. Thank you again for doing this. You're so welcome, Melvin. Thank you for having me. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Francis. And again, you can find Francis at mysolutionservices.com. You know, I was thinking about and reflecting on this conversation, and there were just a couple of things that I was taking away and that I hope that it helps you to start thinking a little bit differently I alluded to this, but one of my most favorite books in business is called The E-Myth Revisited, Why Most Businesses Fail and What to Do Instead. And I'll give a link to it here in the show notes, which you can find at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 104. But in that book, they distinguish, the author distinguishes between working in our business versus working on our business. I think we as private practitioners, the tendency will always be to work in our business because we are a service-based business, right? So we're likely to be seeing clients, likely to be running groups, those kind of things. But one of the things that that book argues is that the best business owners learn to distinguish between working in your business versus on it. And they spend a lot more time working on their business or at least having segments of time where they're working on their business so that they can figure out how to grow their business, or if they are not choosing to grow it, how they can make what they have existing better. One of the benefits, I think, of hiring out, I actually learned this fairly early on with actually the STC and the podcast, is that I just had a lot of things going on, and I wasn't always getting the time to be able to edit the episodes. And it was terrifying to be able to delegate editing an episode to someone else but it's been among the best decisions I've made because it's given me back a lot of my time and uh, it's given me time to be able to spend time with my family or uh, getting to hang out with you guys in the, the Selling the Couch community. And I think it's the same thing for private practice is that we all get to that point where we need to be, as smart business owners, we need to be able to distinguish all of the tasks that are causing us, that are maybe outside of our comfort zone, that maybe even we're good at but there are tasks that we shouldn't be doing. Just when I was talking to Frances, actually, after the conversation, one of the things she mentioned was this exercise, and I thought it was such a good idea. But she says, take a moment, sit down, and write every task that you do related to your business, right? And then ask yourself this question of, 
if I should I be doing this task and is there someone that can do this better? That's a question I think you should always be asking as a business owner because just because you can do a task and you may be even able to do it really well, for example, like I love making graphics, right? But graphics take a little bit of time to make and it's probably wise for me to outsource some of this stuff, right? So for a private practitioner, this could be things like returning phone calls or handling some of the more website-related stuff. Again, show notes to today's episode can be found at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 104. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode and let's continue the conversation in the Selling the Couch community, which you can find at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. And again, Francis is over at mysolutionservices.com. Take good care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business, just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.